listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, it's a week after Resurrection Day that we celebrated last week. And guess what? He's still risen, right? So we can still walk in that victory that we have because of his resurrection. And, and part of that, well, I'll say most of that victory, comes as we hear what he instructs. We put it to practice in our life, not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. So we're going to jump right back into where we left off before Easter in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. If you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, then, uh, then you might want to look it up on uh, Version. Uh, if you have the Version app on your uh, mobile device, you might want to download our church app. In fact, I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't want to download the Oasis Church app if you're a part of this ministry. It's on both the, the Google Play Store and the Apple Store, the App Store. So you want to download that, and then you'll have all your stuff right at your fingertips. And that's uh, the way I like it. That's what we're geared toward now, is having everything so convenient. Luke chapter 6. So Jesus... He's begun his ministry. He's called his inner circle of 12. He's got hundreds of followers. And Jesus is beginning to do and say things that are, that are really, it's drawing a crowd. Folks are coming from miles around to hear what this man from Nazareth. And have you heard the rumors that his mom and dad weren't even married when she became with child. How, how does that happen? Yet he speaks with authority. He speaks with a, uh, with, a, with a means like he actually knows who God is personally. And Jesus is speaking these things and is demonstrating who he is by his words and his works. Now, a lot of folks think what Luke is doing here is giving an abbreviated form of the Sermon on the Mount that you'll find in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 6, and 7, and that very well possibly may be true. But we, we should think that Jesus didn't just say the things that he did on that side of the hill one time in one sermon. No, these were the continuing messages of the kingdom. See, what Jesus has come is to offer the kingdom of God to the people of God. And he's giving them instructions on how people looking for and desiring the kingdom might adjust themselves to him. He's just come off of explaining the heart of one who will participate in the kingdom. It's a, a heart that is motivated by sorrow and, and poverty of spirit, mourning over one's sin, hungering after righteousness, thirsting after the things of God, and then ultimately finding those things in Him and following Him, looking for those things for which God has promised in Him. And then he pronounces woes on those who have come to him to try to argue with him about why they're already in a good position, not needing him. And he pronounces these woes, these warnings, the I would hate to be you statements. If you think you've got what it takes to be in a right standing with your creator apart from me. So he pronounces blessing and woes to those who would and would not enter the kingdom. And now he begins to communicate 
the life of the kingdom today. And we know that ultimately the expression of the kingdom of God won't be fully realized until the one who has been crucified, risen, and returned to the Father comes back in glory and sets himself up as king. That's yet to happen. We believe it will. He said he's coming back. The Old Testament prophecies have said that he's going to reign on the throne. He's left. He said, don't worry if I go away, I'm coming back. We're expecting that to happen when all of the things that God has begun in his plan of redemption comes to completion and we experience it. But until then, we live in the now. The before, the full expression of the kingdom with the opportunity to live with a mindset on the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is explaining to those who have come to him out of interest, out of curiosity. Some of them beginning to believe that maybe this one is actually Messiah. And so Jesus begins to lay out what it looks like to follow him in the way of the kingdom that is to come today. And he's going to say some things that are going to go completely against the way we automatically, normally, can I say, naturally think and act. The things that Jesus is going to say are upside down to the way we think. Because the way of Christ is upside down to the way we are bent by sin. And so he's laying these things out, telling these people what they can expect or what can be expected if they want to set their sights on Jesus and follow him. Well, well, what kind of thinking must we possess? Luke chapter 6, verse number 27. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear. It's interesting that he says to you who hear. There were many in the crowd and most of them were going to hear the words that Jesus was saying. But like you who are parents, like you who are teachers, like you who are shift leaders or bosses or whatever, you know that when you say things, you know it was heard, it just isn't always acted upon, right? So you go, did did you hear what I said? Yep. Are you going to do what I say? Yep. And then five minutes later, some completely opposite. Because while they heard, they did not embrace. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm speaking these things to you who want to know and then will be willing to do. Here's what I want you to hear. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you can expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same 
get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. God, we've heard your word. It's gone into our ears. It has reached the gray matter of our brain. But I pray that you will help us to be people who hear in order to do for your glory. We don't do because we're trying to earn your love. We don't do expecting that that is what is going to make us right with our Creator. We know that is not possible. We could never do enough to be righteous in ourselves. But we want to do because we are followers of God the Son. We want to follow Him, and this is the way in which He's leading. So help us to hear it, to embrace it, and to be intentional about putting it to practice. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You know, the words that Jesus has said are pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, really, we could just close the Word of God today and say, what Jesus said, go do that. And we could go home. But because, and I know you'd like that. You're like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do that? He's not. He's not going to do it. Because here's the thing. We're so used to opening it, reading it, agreeing with it. Yep, that's what we need to do. We need to stay. And really, that's what we try to do every week anyway. We just want to linger around God's Word and, and let it soak. So I want to ask some questions of what we just read. And then we'll be done. And we won't just go home. We'll go home with the intention of putting this to practice. One of the things that I always ask the teenagers on Wednesday night is this. I say, are you a genuine follower of Jesus? Do you consider yourself a by-faith follower of Jesus, the crucified one, in your place and for your sin, believing without reservation that he was raised from the dead and has forgiven your sin simply by faith in him, and now you're following him? I ask them that question, and I ask them to respond verbally. So I'm going to do that this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's not a problem. Well, it is a problem, but it's not a problem that you're here and not a follower of Jesus. In fact, we're honored that you're here, and I can't wait to tell you more about this one who loves you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a genuine believer in Christ, I want you to respond by saying, yes, I am. So, are you? Okay, then what Jesus is saying is, prove it. Not earn it, not try to gain it, prove it. And let it be proven by just following. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I won't do. I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to show you the way, and I'm going to invite you to follow me. These words that Jesus say about loving your enemy, do you realize that it has, has been stated immediately in the context of the religious leaders of Israel deciding that they were rejecting this one from Nazareth? This man named Jesus, this one who was doing miracles and stating and doing things that were contrary to their rules, they had decided to officially reject him. In fact, not only had they rejected him in their heart and mind, but they were officially going to look for a way to stomp him out, to remove him from society. The idea was they were intent to see him dead. So what Jesus is saying comes in the context, it comes in the light of a whole new group of people that have determined to be his enemies. So Jesus is not asking us to do something that's foreign to him. He has enemies that he intends to love. And he asks us to do the same because that is the kingdom way of thinking. Thinking now, living now, out those ways that will be fully experienced in the future. And he says, love your enemies. Well, what kind of love is this? This is a love that was a unique form of love that the Greek language didn't use a whole lot. You see, when the Greek writers would talk about love, typically, and and they had three words that they could use. They had the word eros. And typically, if they used the word eros, that was to describe that emotional, passionate type of love between husband and wife. This eros love, this feeling love that one has for his or her beloved. That was the most common use of the Greek word love. The other word that they would use is philia. This word philia had to do with the love of someone you cared for deeply. A deep friendship. It's it's the kind of love that two guys can say to one another, even when they're trying to be manly and they say, hey, I love you, bro. You throw the bro there because it doesn't feel as weird to say if you put the bro. I love you, man. Hey, brother. I love. It's just too hard to look at John and go, I love you. Even though I do. I do. Bro. And so, you, you know, so, but it's that idea of that deep friendship. You know, man, you call me, I'll do whatever I can because I love you. The word that, that Jesus uses is the one that the Greeks didn't use too often because they really didn't have a context for it. And it's the word agapao. Agape. Agape love is the kind of love that seeks the greatest good of others without deserving. This would be the kind of love that a mother would have for a child. The child is born and what is the child? Let's just be honest. What is the child when it is born? It is a burden to the parents, okay? Now, it is the joy of their life. We love them. They're our posterity. We're going to continue our lineage through them. But they bring nothing to the table except crying and hunger. And they are the agents that keep us from sleep. And they require us to put our hands in things that ought not be touched. 
But mamas and daddies, I mean, they will, the, the bear will come out over them, right? Because that agape love seeks the greatest good for them and will do whatever it takes. Now, you take that away from the familial context, the Greeks didn't have any idea about this seeking the greatest good. I don't have time to seek your greatest good. I can love you. I can, be, I can have feelings of closeness and bonds with you. But I've got to spend my time seeking my greatest good. You seek yours. I'll seek mine. And I'll love you in the process. So Jesus uses a word that was not common in that vernacular. It was there, it was just used very limited. And what Jesus has done now is take a word that probably wouldn't have been even used between friends and he's applied it to your enemies. Seek the greatest good for those who hate you and are seeking your harm. I mean, that's, that's tough. In that crowd were people who had been taught by their synagogue leaders to hate Gentiles, those that were not born in the lineage of Abraham, anybody from any other nationality, they hated them. And they were using the Old Testament as the, as the basis for their hatred of Gentiles. They said God hates Gentiles, so we hate Gentiles. Oh, come on, God doesn't hate Gentiles. Never said he did. In fact, he said he's blessing y'all so that y'all can be a blessing to them and so that ultimately all of y'all can be mine. God never hated them, but they had come to that. They hated Gentiles. But you know who they hated most in the Gentile bucket? Romans. Because the Romans had occupied their land. The Romans had taken over everything. And the Romans were running the show. And they really had no authority. I didn't really have anything. I lived under the control of the Romans. And there was nothing we could do about the Romans because the machine was just simply too big. We would never be able to overthrow the Romans because they had it all and they controlled all the resources and they had all the weapons and they had all the training and we hate the Romans so when Jesus said to them the way of the kingdom is to seek the greatest good even to the ones who hate you most their minds would immediately go to the Romans because they hated them. So let's spend a minute and let's talk about the folks in our life. Are you a follower of Jesus? Oh, okay, okay. Well, then let's think about the people in our life that are not our enemies. Who is it that Jesus is not talking about here? Who is it that Jesus is not telling us to love that are enemies because they're not actually our enemies. These are, and I've got a few I've written down, individuals that I am at odds with. Individuals who have done things or made statements or have, have, 
have harmed me in some way that I'm at odds with, those aren't my enemies. In fact, Romans chapter number 12, verse number 18 says that we are, as followers of Jesus, and you, many of you said you were, that we are to live at peace with everyone. In fact, Paul says, as much as it depends on you, follower of Jesus, you can't control what they do, but as much as it depends on you, seek to live at peace with everyone. So is there someone in your mind that comes that you say, who's my enemy? And immediately their face came to your mind. It's somebody that's in your family that you're at odds with. Maybe hadn't spoken to for years. It's somebody that you work with. It's a, it's a neighbor that, that you can't stand. Got my neighbor here. Love that guy. Love you, bro. And so maybe it's a neighbor that you've been feuding with. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a political opponent. Oh, man, there he goes again. Talking about my political leanings. I'm going to leave. Well, you, you'll leave with a bad attitude because the folks who don't vote the way you do, they're not your enemies. We're supposed to seek peace with everyone as much as it depends on me. So that's not who we're talking about. We've already been called to love them. They can't be my enemies. Or, or, or here's somebody else who's not my enemies. Other Christians who believe differently than I believe. If you were raised in church, then probably you were raised in some form of, of, of Christian church denomination and you were right and everyone else was wrong some more wrong than others but certainly they were wrong i heard that amen (laughs) disappointed i'm just kidding i i get it i was there so christians who believe differently well we can't fellowship with them because they're our no they're not our enemy ephesians 4 1 through 6 tells us that we're to work to maintain unity and peace in the body. Me and you differ on something theologically? Okay, great. Do we claim the name of Jesus, the crucified and risen one who, who paid for our sin and he's the only way of forgiveness and he's the only way to a right relationship with the Father? Yes, we agree. How much water are we going to use in baptism? I'm using a cup full. I'm using a hot tub full. We're not enemies. We're supposed to strive to maintain unity. Here's somebody else who's not your enemy. Christians who are caught up in sin. Now they might have separated themselves from the body. That they might have caused there to be a division between us because you're going away that I'm not going. But that's not my enemy. In fact, Galatians 6.1 says that my responsibility to them in love is to seek to restore them. I'm to pursue them with the hopes that we can restore them to right relationship with God through repentance and confession so that we might be reconciled. That's my responsibility. They might not respond, but they're not my enemy. Jesus is not telling me to love that person. I'm already supposed to be loving that person. Somebody else who's not my enemy Sinners who flamboyantly live out their sin. 
So often we hear Christians with a voice, and unfortunately it's a voice that's going out over the airwaves, either through television or radio or podcast, and, and, and they are communicating that the lost that need Christ are our enemies, and that we are to take up arms of sort against the ones that we've been called to go to. They're not our enemies. They're just doing what we would be doing if it weren't for the grace of God. And in fact, you and me both know that there are times you lay your pillow, your head down on your pillow and you actually imagine things that you can't imagine doing and you realize just how close to what they are, you are. And the only thing that separates us is the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us, not that we've earned. Sinners who are sinning are doing what they do because that's what they are. They're not our enemies. Matthew 8.36 tells us about Jesus looking on those who were wandering like sheep without a shepherd. And you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, man, I just hate what they're doing. The scripture said that he had compassion on them. He saw them in the broken state that they were in and he his heart broke for them they're not our enemies here's a hard statement you ready it's a hard statement you're not gonna like it i don't like it but here's the truth lovers like jesus if you're a follower of jesus then we've been called to love like him lovers like jesus should have no one they consider to be their enemy. That's a, that's a hard statement. And we don't like it because every one of us in the building have folks in our mind that if I were to say, who's your enemy? You could name a half a dozen folks. Does, does Jesus have any enemies? Not from his perspective. Because for God so loved the world. What Christ did, he did for all in love. So that's a hard statement. But let it sink. Who's your enemy? If it's anyone from your perspective, I, I know they may have hurt you. They may be a bad person. And in fact, they may have done heinous things that we will never say are, are okay. But if you're a follower of Jesus, they can't be your enemy. Because he loves them, so too must we. Well then, Kevin, who are our enemies then? Well, I think in order to see that, we have to go back a little bit in this chapter to Luke chapter 6, verse number 22. So Jesus is talking about those who are blessed, those who are, are poor, those who are hungry, those who weep now, those uh, you know, who, who, are, who are, are broken and recognize the inability that they have in themselves. And then Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son 
of man. Who are your enemies? It's those who hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn you. Some of them will hate you because you claim to follow Jesus. Because that you say that I'm a Christian and, 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 and I, I believe in the one crucified and raised from the dead, they'll hate you. They'll look for opportunities to harm you. They'll talk about you. They'll make fun of you. They'll keep you from being able to get that next promotion. They will fire you if they have the opportunity. They'll lie about you because you claim to follow Jesus. Christ says, love them. Well, that ain't what we want to do. What is it we want to do? We want to defend ourselves. We want to draw the line and say, you'll not cross that line. It's if you do, you're going to get what's coming. And you know what? That's not, that's not kingdom thinking. That's today thinking. And I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. They'll hate you because you claim to follow Jesus. Some of them will hate you because you order your life according to the teachings and life of Jesus. Because you won't do what they're doing, they'll hate you. Because you've decided you're going to do this that they would never do, they'll hate you. They'll talk about you. Because you're going to claim that somehow what you're doing is a right thing and, and, and something else would be, you would call that sin and I'm supposed to expect that this God of the universe is mad at me because I'm doing this, but he's not mad at you because you're not. Well, that's not exactly what we're saying, but we're ordering our lives according to the teachings and life of Jesus and they'll go, yeah, I, that, that makes me mad. It just makes me not want to be around you. And I hate you. Some will hate you because you don't order your life according to the teachings and life of Jesus the way they do. These are religious folks that have ought against you because you don't do it the way they do it. There are folks that will hate, be in a church and will hate another church because they don't do stuff the way they do stuff. And, and, and they'll call their faith into question because the volume's a little louder than theirs or because the, the seating is a little different than theirs or because the translation is a little bit different than theirs or because the, the, the style, it, they'll hate you because you don't do it the way they do it. And there's not a thing you can do about that hatred except love them. Except treat them differently because Jesus said so. And will model how that's supposed to look. Some will hate you because they just don't like you and they're not really sure why. They don't like the sound of your voice. They don't like the perfume. You, they, they don't like the way that you part your hair. That's a dumb haircut. I don't like you. There's nothing you can do about that. But you can love them. What does love your enemies look like? Well, Jesus tells us right here in our text. He says, to those who hate us for whatever reason, but, but mostly because we're ordering our lives according to the life and teaching of Jesus, we're to do good to them. What is doing good? It means doing things 
that are to their benefit. So just for an example, you got somebody at work that's constantly trying to get you in trouble with your boss because they hate the fact that you're a follower of Jesus or because you order your life according to the life and teachings of Jesus. They're constantly a thorn in your side. Jesus would say, don't try to find the cubicle the farthest away from them. Rather, bake them some cookies. If they run out of time off and an emergency comes up, give them one of your days if that's allowed. They're overwhelmed and they're, they, they, they're, they're under the gun because they've spent the last week flapping their mouth instead of doing their work and now you're done with yours and they're overwhelmed and they're stressed out and you come alongside the one who hates you and says, can I help you get done so we can all leave at five today? Look, I get it. I don't want to tell you this because I don't like this. I like the idea of the ones who hate me getting what's coming to them, right? I'm the one who doesn't like the ending of It's a Wonderful Life because Mr. Potter doesn't get what he deserves. Those of you who say, what is this movie he speaks of? Shame on you, number one. Go watch it. You'll be mad, and you shouldn't be. But we are. He says not only do good to them. And, and you know, these aren't hypotheticals. Like, this is real life stuff. What, what are you to do? You're to love. This, this agape love, it's not feelings. Eros, philia, those are, those are feeling loves. The, this agape is a decision love. It's a deciding I'm going to love somebody who doesn't deserve it because of the way they treat me, the way they hate me, the way they have every intentions of destroying me if they could, wiping me out of their life if that were possible. And I'm going to decide to love them and I'm going to demonstrate it with my actions. Mm. Do good to them. He says bless them. It's a word that means to speak well of. Well, certainly a way that you can demonstrate with your actions your love for someone who despises you is to deny yourself the pleasure of talking them down when you're around others and they're not and speak well of those things that are positive about them. And maybe you have to work really, really hard to find something positive But you do it because you've decided that you're going to demonstrate love for them like Jesus demonstrated love for you when you were His enemy in your heart and mind. So we bless them. But but not only speaking well of them to one another, it's this idea of asking for God to show them favor. If we go back to Numbers chapter 22, we won't this morning. Go back to Numbers 22, you'll read a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Balaam. 
Balaam was a foreign prophet. He wasn't an Israelite. And this foreign king, this enemy king, enemy nation of Israel, tried to hire Balaam as a prophet to come down and stand on the hillside and curse Israel. That was Balaam's job. They paid him a bunch of money to come down and say a cursing over Israel. The problem is that you don't just curse Israel because God's sovereign over everything. When Balaam got all his notes out and he's about ready to curse Israel, God caused him to bless Israel. And once he got done with his statement, he's like, wait a minute, I didn't curse them, I blessed them. What did he do? He had asked God to show favor on them. Instead of calling on all the other pagan gods to bring down their calamities, he ended up saying, God of heaven, bring your blessing on your people. And the foreign king, Balak, goes, man, that's not what I ask you to do. I ask you to curse them. What we want to do is we want to go to the Psalms and we want to relish in the fact that there are times when David goes, God, them people that are pursuing me, I want you to make them chew on some gravel and I want it to grind up their teeth. And we're like, yes, that's what I want. I want that joker to be toothless in the morning. That just sounds like a very painful thing. I'd love for them to endure We don't read to the end of most of those psalms where David gets it all out. Hey, this is how I... And the psalms are helpful because it is how we feel. But when David gets it all out and he says what he wants and wishes God will do, then he backs up and goes, but ultimately, Lord, I want your will to be done. I I want for you to be glorified. And, you know, that's, that's what blessing is. So I got somebody who's coming at me with all they got. And what do I do? I ask for God's favor in their life. God, will you show them your favor? I bless them. And then I move on from blessing them to pray for them. While I'm on my knees seeking God's favor for the one who has positioned themselves against me. With hostility, acting against me. I'm on my knees and I'm saying, God, there's got to be a reason for this. There's got to be some reason why they hate me so much. God, what I want you to do is bring them into right relationship with you. Because once they're in right relationship with you, they'll be in right relationship with me. And God, keep my heart from turning bitter towards them. Keep me from becoming their enemy. Restore them. Use them. Help them. God, do a mighty work in them and restrain me and remind me who they are not in my life. God, they can't be my enemy. Do a work in them. Spend much time this week praying for those who hate you like that. Because I didn't. I didn't spend much time doing that this week. But that's what Jesus says. You want to follow me? Awesome. Then love your enemies. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. And then he says, if they strike you on one cheek, you're to, let's say it in the King James, Turn the other cheek. He's, he's not talking here about like uh, uh, playground brawls and things of that nature. But 
most believe that this, this euphemism of turning the other cheek was this idea that an insult in that, in, in that arena, in that culture, would be a backhanded slap against someone's... In fact, they did that to Jesus. They slapped him on the face when he spoke and, and they didn't think his words were befitting to the high priest when he was under an illegal trial. All he was doing was answering the high priest's question and the guy stamped aside, knocked him across the face. How dare you speak to the priest? It's, it's an insult. Bah! You little. What Jesus is saying is what you want to do when they pop you is you want to turn back with that look. What you want is when you turn back with that look for the sun to catch your eye and do one of them Hollywood gleams so they know it's about to be on because we're going to throw down right here. You don't treat me like that. Well, you know, it's hard. You can take the redneck out of the country, but you can't take the redneck out of the man. That's, That's what you want to do, right? Jesus is like, no, they pop you. Turn the other cheek as well. Allow them to do it on. Basically, what Jesus is saying is take an insult without retaliating. Oh, man, is that hard. But he says, that's what I'm going to do. Did anyone deserve Jesus' love? No. And, and did we bring it all on him in hostility? Yep, we did. And what did he do? He loved us. All the way to the end. Why? Because he did. Accepting insults without hatred and retaliation. He, he gives an illustration. If, if anyone uh, asks for your cloak... So basically, someone comes along and says, hey, can I borrow your cloak? And you're like, well, it's the only one I got. And, you know, I, I cover up with this at night. I know, but I need it for such a... Okay, give him your cloak. He said, but at the same time, be prepared to give him your undershirt too. You know, the, the idea of that guy will give you the shirt off his back. It's literally giving them the shirt off your back. It's generosity to those who take advantage of you. It's continuing to love tangibly someone that you've given to, and all they do is keep coming back for more. And I don't think what he's saying is that you're supposed to empty your bank account if that's what they ask for, but it's this idea that you don't cut people off just because they seem to be taking advantage of your generosity. You say, I can't do that. Jesus did. Jesus ever cut you off? Never cut me off. In fact, he's always waiting for me to come back so that he can pour and pour and pour. He says, give to everyone who asks. The scripture talks about we're not to just throw things away if, if, if someone is not going to work then then we don't celebrate laziness but where legitimate needs are in the context of our enemy when the enemy is wanting and has a need what we want to say is how would I ever do that for you 
Well, because Jesus would do that for me. And because I know he would do that for you. So I'm going to do that for you. You give to everyone who asks. And even from those who steal from you, you don't demand your stuff back. I don't think that Jesus is saying if your house get robbed, you shouldn't call the police and fill out a report and that if they can find the stuff that you get about. I'm not saying that's not what he's saying. But you know how sometimes when you lend something, it begins to be a sore spot with you and that thing begins to become more important than the person that you lend it to? I think what Jesus is saying is kingdom thinking values people over stuff. Demonstrate your love for them. If they take it and they borrow it and they break it, don't cut them off. Love them. Replace it. (laughs) If they they have the nerve to ask you to borrow the new one. (laughs) Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to let them borrow it. I don't want to, but I want to show them that I love them. Then he goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what? What's that? Everybody does. Sinners do that. That's a, that's a, you love me, I love you. I give you, you give me. Scratch my back, I'll scratch you. Sinners do that. Sinners lend to folks that they know they're going to get their money back from. They're not worried. So don't, don't just do to get. Refuse to do that. Rather, love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Because when you do, your reward is great. In this life, maybe. But wouldn't you rather have it in the life that's to come? Because whatever God blesses us with in this life, you know we're going to spend it up, right? So if we give and then God dumps a blessing on us, then we really shouldn't get too excited about that because that's temporary. What we would rather do is to let God be pleased with the way we're obeying, hearing the words of Jesus and doing it. We would rather God be saying, hey, how about put him some more reward over there in that place that ain't going nowhere. I won't give that to him one day. That's what we'd rather have. And we might not ever experience it here, but we get the joy of knowing we look like Jesus to them. Treat others with the kind of love that God has for them. How? By being merciful, even as your Father is merciful. One writer said, The way we love our enemies is very important. The credibility of the gospel message we, we give depends on how well we love those who hate us. Because that is the gospel. You hate God, but He loves you. You're broken in sin, but He still loves you. And He demonstrated it in this. While you're still in the act of open and rebellious sinning, Jesus died in your place for your sin. And that's how you know how much God loves you. The credibility of the gospel depends in large part on whether we love like Jesus loves. Now we know the gospel doesn't depend on us, but the credibility of our message. Because how can we say something that we don't practice? So I think Jesus gets one of the hardest things out first and goes, you going to follow me? All right, we're going to love our enemies. 
Oh, wait, wait. We're going to what? Yep. We're going to do good for those who don't deserve it. We're going to expend ourselves. We're going to pour ourselves out for those that would never do the same for us. So what are we going to do today? Well, first of all, we're going to ask this question. Who is my enemies? Who are the folks that I see as enemies? And we're going to confess that as sin. We're going to come before the Lord when we pray today and we're going to say, God, I shouldn't have any enemies. And I hold bitterness. I hold hard feelings. I got, I got a rub against I just don't, I don't want them. I can't stand them. And God, I need to confess that as sin because you love them. You called me to love them. And if I need to apologize to them in order to demonstrate that I love them, I will. Yeah, but I didn't do. Have you hated them? Eh, a little bit. Apologize. Have you ignored them? Have you stayed away from them? Yeah, and sometimes toxic folks, you do have to give back. But you don't have to cut them out of life and eternity. Maybe you do need to have boundaries, but a text, an email, or something that says, I just want you to know you're not an enemy in my heart anymore. You have been, and I know that was sin. I can't, I can't let that be the way I think about you anymore, so I'm, I'm just not going to. Hope you have a good day. And, and then mean, you hope they have a good day. And then ask the question, who are the ones that hate you? And ask God to show you how you can demonstrate in a concrete way this week that you love them. You know who they are. What, what can you do this week? To demonstrate love to those who hate you. Don't just say I'm going to decide. That's part of it. What can you do? Because it's the actions that will speak. Then ask God to help you to have no enemies. And to see everyone through his eyes of love. That's a hard word. And anyone I want to hear, it's certainly not one I want to say. But if somebody asked me, are you a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus? I'd say, yes, I am. Jesus goes, awesome. Let's go love them enemies. Just watch what I do. Imitate me. They, They won't get it. But just maybe they'll ask the question, why in the world would you do this? Because I know how much God loves you. I know how much Jesus wants you to be following his way. And I just want to demonstrate that through my actions. And guess what? He gets glorified and you get stronger in your faith. It's a win-win. Let's stand together. If you're here today and you go... Man, being a Christian's weird. It is. But it's awesome. It's hard because it's not the way we want to live. But man, it results in the opportunity of representing the one who gave his all for us. What a privilege. What an honor.
if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I just tell you, He loves you. You don't have to become good enough for Him. He, he'll only take you as fully, completely broken and rotten as you are. That's the way He took all of us. But here's what He'll do. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, He'll forgive all that sin. He'll wipe it away. He'll give you the righteousness that is Jesus's. He'll bring you into his family. And then he'll grow you through the power of the Spirit, through us walking together as the body, as we wait on the return of our King, our Savior, our Lord. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, today would be a great day to just say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Can't fix myself. There's nothing I can do to, to change me, but I believe you can. And I believe Jesus is the one that does it. And I take him today. I want him. I want you. I want you to be mine. I want to be yours. And then let's talk about that afterward. How we can walk together towards that end. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We need your help. We, we won't love our enemies in our own strength. We'll continue to hate them. We'll agree with it in here. And we'll rock right out that door. And we'll still be mad at them. And we won't want to love them. We've got to have your help. We've got to have you to change our mind, to change our heart, and to set our feet on a new way. And we know you will. If we're broken, we're sorrowful, and we're needy, and we're hungry for what you can do in us, then you'll do that. We can count on it. So I pray that you will cause us to want to love our enemies. Cause us to want to have no enemies from our perspective so that we might look and sound more like Jesus and so that the gospel might ring true to those we share it with and that they might come to know you through your son. God, help us today. You know the burdens that came in the door with, with all of these and I just ask that you will meet them where they are, that you'll hear the cry of their heart, they'll walk out encouraged knowing that you are here and that you will walk with them and that you will lead them and that there are answers if they're willing to hear and obey God we thank you for the week ahead we ask that you'll give us concrete opportunities to put what we've learned today to practice we love you and we trust you in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen